In this episode, we discuss how we climb the polyvagal ladder. My name is Justin Sinceri. And I am Mercedes Corona, and we are licensed marriage and family therapists obsessed with the polyvagal theory. Welcome to episode 17 of the Polyvagal Podcast. So we'll be doing our polyvagal breakdown of a song that Mercedes picked out. We'll go over the episode topic, and we have an announcement or two, plus your homework assignment for the week. All right, so this the song here is Gloria Estefan. Beautiful, yes. Con los años que me quedan. Quedan. That's what I said. All right. Close. <laughs> so listen with your body, not with your ears, right? Just 30 seconds worth there, but that was, uh, well, why don't you start it off? How did you feel about that song? I love that song. So I, I have to start off by saying it's when it's it, it's a favorite of mine. I, I Every now and then I'll get in the mood to be listening to the Spanish songs, and that's one that I play. Um, so it's hard for me to separate, like, how I feel about it emotionally and how I, how it feels in my body as a polyvagal, you know, breakdown exercise. I think I, I feel it in my chest first and you, oh man, you didn't let it get to the part. Oh, there's this one part where just the percussion comes in. It's fantastic. But, um, 30 it, seconds only. That's I, it. I, I know. <laughs> I know. Sorry, Cut Gloria. Off. Sorry, Miss Estefan. <laughs> Mrs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel it in my chest and it feels very, there's lots of sway for me. Like I immediately start just like swaying to it. I think the, her voice, she's just got such a great voice. There's lots of prosody in there. It's a very, very safe song. I felt myself uplifted. I felt myself rising up with her voice. It's lovely prosody. It felt, it felt very safe. Yeah, that's that was my experience of the song. The, the background music was a little bit like slower. It didn't feel dangerous. You know what I mean? But it, but um, her voice is really what kind of like brought me up. Well, and the music itself has some prosody to it. I don't know if that's something yeah, that we can't so. say, but you know, with the guitar playing, like just do 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 do. You know, it's just there's lots of move movement in the in the melody. The topic here is how we, yeah, how we climb the polyvagal ladder, and we've selected a handful of areas that we'll kind of break down. First one here. Let's talk about our, our breathing. We've you know we in the in the podcast we've said numerous times um, controlled breathings, uh, especially on the exhale to really slow it down. Uh, so I, I do that a lot actually frequently throughout the day, just really controlling my breath and making sure that I I'm really slowing it on the way out. That's pretty straightforward. And I notice that when I do that, that um, I do feel a lot calmer as it. As I breathe out, do you ever do that? Notice that I feel calmer or breathe out. Well, do you ever con- do you ever like focus on your breathing and control your breathing and whatnot? Yeah, I do. Um, it's a real there, there are times. Sarcastic I think, comment there. I know it's <laughs> where I live in sarcastic land. Breathing is something that I 
I've been, I don't want to say I've been into, I, you know, we all have to be into breathing, but um, <laughs> I took a Zen Buddhism course in college. And so it was meditation and, and focusing on your breath kind of stuff. And then I also got into yoga a little bit after college. And so I've just, there've been activities in my life that have, uh, have had breath at the focus of it. And so that's something that I've incorporated into my life. But yeah, there are times in the day that that I'll take a minute. I'll do a couple of deep breaths on on purpose, intentionally, um, if I'm feeling anxious or stressed or angry or whatever thing. But yeah, it's it's something that comes naturally to all of us because it, you think of people who do, you know, there's a heavy sigh. People who sigh, that's that's a deep breath. That's your body saying, I need, you know, I need this right now. I need to take a moment. Yeah, sighing on the ex. Yeah, but really make like purposefully sighing. I find that to be. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty relaxing. It's interesting. So when we when we sigh, people always ask what's wrong. Yeah. And it's, for me, it's not necessarily something wrong. I just felt like sighing, so I, I let out a sigh, and I just feel like it feels right, you know. For me, sometimes I I only notice this because my family points it out. But when I'm sighing, I think it's one of my ways of just kind of an unconscious way of trying to handle a situation, or not handle, but um, just deal with it, I guess. And um, my daughter and my son will say, "Mom, are you angry?" And they'll say, "I'll say why." well, you just breathed really heavy. And I think it's like, like I'm stressed and I'm just trying to stay in control and trying to stay calm. I think when we sigh that right before we sigh, there there might, sometimes there is tension. You know, sometimes we are anxious. Um, I don't think you have to be, you know. I don't think so either. Yeah. But I think that's what people associate it with. That's why they say, well, what's wrong? Yeah. But but purposefully sighing, um, I sighed, I don't know, my body, that doesn't mean something's wrong. It's just my body felt like sighing. I, I don't. It's almost like, I don't know, I want to say it's almost like jumping into the pool for the first time or, you know, like, I don't know, walking outside like on a beautiful, you know, spring day and like getting that first breath of air. Oh, like it's just like a little quick little jolt or a charge? Yeah, like a... I can see that. Like a refreshing, you know... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I could totally see that. So I do throughout the day just notice my breathing, especially in session. I do that a lot. Um, Just making sure that my breathing is regulated um, because I do feel myself mirroring... Um, empathetically just with my clients that I'll feel more tense and whatnot. So I, I make sure to keep breathing in my belly throughout sessions. Um, and yeah, just throughout the day randomly um, or pur- you know, purposely I think about it and do it. I don't find that it, it's good in the moment on the breath out. I find it very helpful, but I don't think that it's enough for me. Like I like to like squeeze things that really helps me out a lot. Mm-hmm. So the breath alone is helpful in that moment. But I don't know how much of it actually carries over. I really kind of need the physical outlet as well. Yeah. That works best for me. So you use it kind of like a stair step to the next thing that will yeah. also help you. And actually, I, I do that a lot when, um, like with my kids or, you know, down the ladder. I'll take a little a deep breath. Not a little one, but I'll, I'll take a deep breath. Just one. And it's enough for me just to kind of... Like you said, like jumping in the pool, like it's enough just to kind of jolt me back into where I want to be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the kids are down the ladder and to prevent myself from joining them, I'll take a deep breath, slowly exhale it. And I'm like, okay, I'm ready. Yeah. Um, but continuous deep breaths. I don't know. I don't know how much that does for me so far. So the, the physical outlet seems to be, a, I, I feel that changing my, my breathing naturally when I do physical things. I agree. I think the breathing by itself isn't uh, always, it's not going to take care of the issue 
all by itself. And I think I think people are going to respond differently to all these things, right? I did want to say, I don't know if it's something that you have mentioned before on the podcast or if I, I feel like I heard Dr. Porges on a different podcast um, talking about it, how the exhale breath is the, is the more, I don't want to say the more important one, but like the w- more necessary one for the actual relaxation, the actual calmness, focus on making your exhale breath longer than your inhale breath. So for example, it, uh, what is the one, the, Five, seven, eight breath. Have you heard of that yeah, one? Yeah, so I, I have, yeah. You yeah. breathe in for a count of five, hold it for a count of seven, breathe out for a count of eight. I, I'm just saying it as an example. I'm not saying that you have to do this because I actually, <laughs> I hear it makes people lightheaded actually. But the idea is to inhale for a shorter amount of time than you exhale. The exhale is the more relaxing part of the breathing. I find that the five, seven, eight thing or, or any sort of overly controlled breathing, I don't like. Yeah. And I find myself in this sort of evaluative place where I'm timing it and I'm like, am I doing this right? And lately I've really been, I do the controlled exhale because when we exhale, that's when our parasympathetic is really active. Inhale is sympathetic. So yeah, you control the exhale for that reason. But I've, I'm just allowing myself to breathe the way I want to breathe as well. And then I'm noticing it. You know what I mean? So yeah. I'll, I'll do the controlled breathing, but I on, on the exhale, more on the exhale. But I'm really kind of letting my body breathe the way it wants to breathe, especially if I have a moment to pause and look inward in like stillness and maybe enough quiet that I'll just notice how does my body want to breathe without judging it. I'm just like curious. And Mm -hmm. that's that to me, I find more grounding than controlled breathing. That's just my my experience of it. Experiment, be curious, try all these things out. But Mm -hmm. um, see what works for you. I have asthma, by the way, so (laughs) that might affect this stuff as well. But um (laughs) Yeah, that, if you have a medical me, excuse yeah. me, medical condition, folks, don't don't test the limits on that. <laughs> All right, so human touch. Um, this one is a big one for me, and actually, I'll, I'll include my dogs in that as well. Because like when I pet my dogs, um, I really kind of feel grounded. Um, yeah. But there's times where I now I know, like I, I'm able to recognize that if I'm a little more anxious or worked up or whatever. If I hold my wife's hand or give her a massage or pet my dog, that just the touch and the, the hand movement, yeah. it really does something for me. And I feel my breathing really clear up and free up. So the physical touch for me, especially like using my hands, um, and this is very true with like you've seen me squeeze, you know, mm-hmm. the fidget toys and the whatnot, just the, yeah. the squeezing action. I like it a lot. Um, those like workout things. Mm-hmm, the Like the exercise bands. Yeah, these you, things that I've al- I've always liked. Oh these. yeah, I have it right here. It's right. Here. The hand squeezy thing. I love people these can't see what you're doing. So I'm showing you Mercedes. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I love those things, and when I do it, I feel different. Like I feel it. Yeah. Immediately, so touch um, is a big, big deal for me. Um, and like my wife, like we were in the car, and I just felt myself like a little anxious. And I said, "Hey, do you mind holding my hand?" She goes, "Why? What's wrong?" I'm like, "Nothing's wrong. I just..." It just feels right. Like, do you mind? Mm-hmm. And she did. And it was like, I just, I instantly felt just yeah. my breathing ease up. Yeah. I'm the exact same way. Um, uh, but more, more on the receiving end. Cause you were saying that you would be the one to like massage your wife's neck or whatever, where for me, if my, my husband's going to hate that I'm talking about him on the podcast, but <laughs> it's a positive thing. Um, <laughs> if my husband touches me like on the shoulder, my favorite thing is, um, skin to skin contact but like his hand on my neck or my shoulder yeah and immediately going back to the breathing like immediately just 
completely unconsciously, I just like, like this heavy sigh comes out and it's just like so relaxing. And I joke around with him and I tell him that he has magic hands because if I'm like stressed out or just tense or angry or whatever thing, as soon as he puts his hand on my shoulder, that way immediately, like I, I feel it. I feel this drop of tension, like 10 degrees less tense. That's an arbitrary number. But, um, but yeah, and then my kids, you know, holding my kids' hand. My kids are much older now, but yeah. holding my kids' hand. Even still, though, they'll both hold my hand every now and then. And that is just so nice. Like, if we're walking through the store and they just, like, go for the hand, like, for mom's hand. And, oh, I just love it. It's, again, it just kind of brings me just to a more calm, safe place. Belle I, and I, we haven't done this for a while, but uh, when I say goodnight to her, I'll go into her room and give her a hug and kiss goodnight. We have a little routine. And we haven't done this in a while, but we used to just give each other a hug until it felt right to stop. Mm-hmm. And it was sometimes we'd like to do a super big squeeze. Sometimes it was lighter. Sometimes it was longer. Sometimes, and we would just be like, "Yep, yeah, that's enough." And it was just this moment of like, I got what I needed through a physical connection. I, I feeling mm-hmm. loved. I think it was very grounding. Yeah, and re- and really brought us both into this like connected, loving place. I'll I'll do that kind of thing. Sometimes it's a really hard day at work and. Just for for context sake, I'll, um, the job that I do is I work with the kids who are, have, um, they call it emotional disturbance. So really significant emotional and behavioral issues in the classroom. You know, I mean, significant things, throwing furniture, cussing, fighting, aggression, running away, just really heavy things. And, you know, we're bleeding heart therapists, right? So my heart goes out to these kids. I, I love working with these kids and I have so much care and concern for them. And so when they have a really hard day, it, emotionally, it drains me. And there are days that I'll just come home and I just like, I'll grab my son or my daughter and just give them like this big, just long hug. And they'll say, mom, you had a hard day, didn't you? Because they learned, like, I'll tell them, I just needed this. I just needed to feel this, yeah. this touch. Yeah, human touch. Or do you you have a dog, right? Mm-hmm. Dog, dogs. Three dogs. Um, that's too many. No, my, <laughs> I know. I told my husband the same thing. He said, "No, one more is fine." Nope. All right. How about uh, play, dance? Play is <laughs> my favorite thing to talk about. <laughs> Did you roll your eyes at me? <laughs> I knew what was coming. You know why I love play so much, Justin. <laughs> It's fun. Because kids are fun. (laughs) No, well, I say kids are fun, but like play, I think (laughs) I joke around with the kids, with my own children and the kids I work with. And I tell them, I'm just a big kid. I'm not an adult. I'm just a big kid because I do love play and I do love just being silly. I mean, you've seen me like I'm a crazy goofball. Like he's nodding his head. Yeah, I'm I like to be playful. I like to be silly because, you know, it's fun. It's fun to just take yourself out of grown up mode for a minute and just, you know, do a funny little dance or, you know, say something in a funny voice. Oh, a British accent. Some people want to hear my British <laughs> accent, Justin. Should I do it? Should I do it right now on the podcast? <laughs> can I do it for the rest of the podcast? I can do it for a Please long time. <laughs> All right. He's he's really uncomfortable with that. So I'm going to stop. A little bit. Um, a bit. No, but play is so, so great. It just reconnects you with, you know, I don't know if this is going to get corny, but, you know, with your inner child, like it just brings no, you back down to a safe place of of fun and, and care carefreeness. And is that a word? Carefree? Sure. Yes. I totally get what you're saying. When I, when I ride my daughter's scooter, 
which is big enough to hold me. <laughs> when I ride that, it brings me back to being a kid. And right? there's something about the gliding. I just, I love it. Just like when you get going and you're like you're just gliding. Yeah. To me, it's a peaceful moment, even though I'm like going hecka fast. Like it's almost like flying, I think. It's like this freedom, just like being in the moment sort of thing, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's very peaceful for me. That and swinging. I love swinging. Yeah. Love when my the kids swings. don't bother me to push them, I get to <laughs> swing on my own. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, swinging is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, playing catch, like all these pl- these play things I really like. Yeah. Um, today, actually, I posted a one-minute video today, but uh, my son wanted to go out and play in the park. I didn't want to go. I wanted to be, it was Saturday, Sunday morning. I wanted to be on the couch reading a Peter Levine, Peter Levine book. Of course. So I'm like, I don't want to, <laughs> but you know, I, it's a beautiful day. Not too hot yet, so I took him out, right? And uh, he wanted to go on the slide i'm like I'll, I'll do it with you once i didn't want to do the damn slide but i did it once and i'm like that's enough but i found other ways to play with him you know without being disingenuous and then um we did swinging and that kind of brought me out of my funk a little bit more yeah and then we did like he did it he rode his little tricycle around this like oval area and i rode the scooter and i felt my breathing just really kind of free up and I felt more connected to him and more playful. So I was coming out of this like Sunday morning funk mm-hmm. and not wanting to do a darn thing because I'd be by myself, really. Right. But through these movements and finding the right ones, sliding for me was not it. Sliding any other day might be fine, but this morning was not it. But the the scooter, the swinging, throwing a ball back and forth, all these things were it. Like these helped me to reconnect with him. Yeah. When I did, I didn't really want to. I was in my own little funk. But, you know, through these movements, listening to my body, that's what helped me to kind of climb up the ladder and reconnect with them and have a lot of fun. When you think about it, play is such a a genuine expression of joy that you have to be in a safe place to be playing, to be really truly in the moment playing. And so I I think that's why play is so important, because when if we're talking about not just taking care of ourselves, but taking care of the kids that we work with, the kids that we live with, the people, you know, the people we live with and are surrounded by play, bringing people into a a state of play is is helping them come into a state of safety. It is. Yeah. You you can't play unless you're in a safe state plus being uh, mobile. So, So it's basically sympathetic. Plus, safe and social, that's what play is yeah. uh, in polyvagal terms. It's um, shared experience, shared attention. And when you play, you make a lot of eye contact. You're checking constantly to see, like if, if we play tag or if we're roughhousing on the couch, which we do a lot, uh, we're always checking each other to see, you know, you make yeah. eye contact, you're looking for smiles. So play is a fantastic way to, I think, get up the ladder. And even if you don't feel like it, like I, I know that like this morning, I didn't want to play at all. Yeah. But but it was more like as a parent like I should I felt so I did. And I knew that if I played the right way for me that I would I would get to where I was more connected and more genuinely playing. Mm-hmm. So it started off as like fine I'll do the slide and fake it for a little bit, but it ended up with like genuine connection and really enjoying myself even though I almost crashed on the scooter. <laughs> it was wet outside, I almost crashed. Yikes. Yikes. So on our outline you also have dance and I'm thinking about it. Is dance kind of a form of play? Yeah. You're mobile, but you're safe and social. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I 
was thinking about it and I I have this memory of me and my kids. I used to, <laughs> I, I'd like to think I'm a fun mom, you know? I'd like to do fun, silly things. I, I get to work with kids for a living, so I get to kind of be in a kind of child mode a lot. And I used to, <laughs> I used to have my kids do a dance party just spontaneously when, oh, they, yeah, were, totally. when they were toddlers. And like yeah. just a great song comes on the radio or like I was playing something on my phone and I'd be like, dance party. And like everyone just drops what they're doing and starts just jamming just for a few seconds, just like 10, 15, 20 seconds. We still, we still do that. We, Jay will say, I want a dance party. And so we'll go, <laughs> we'll go upstairs, turn the lights off, put some, put on a Perry Grip on YouTube. It's a channel called Perry Grip and they have all these mm-hmm. fun kids songs that are just super silly. Fun. And we, blast those and they run around and it's really cool to watch them dance because it's all about how their body feels yeah and so to see bella do the way she dances and see a jay do his like his dances it's it's so fun for my wife and i to watch we love it i miss it i i miss it our our dance parties are pretty rare now my son is 12 about to be 13 too cool too cool or it's just (laughs) dumb oh mom giant eye roll gosh i don't want to do a dance party mom Mm. (laughs) My daughter will still get down with me sometimes. She's like, let's nice. do it. But Yeah, um, dance. I, I'll i dance with the kids. That's about it. I don't dance any other time, period. <laughs> period. I go to a I wedding. Yeah. I'm not dancing. You're not dancing? Nope. Not not even to celebrate the union of, of a couple of The last wedding I went other. to, I was the one person not dancing. <laughs> well, I did not sad. Dance. Justin, seriously? I wasn't sad. I was totally That's fine. That's sad. <laughs> You can't even... Okay, well, we won't get into that. This is not... My body does not feel safe dancing. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, that's... I mean, that's even in, even in high school... You guys are learning a lot about me. Even yeah. in high school, I went to the first dance as a freshman and the last dance as a senior, and that was it. And that's it? And when I was there, I did like a dance, and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see high school Justin. <laughs> he, was, he was an interesting character. Um... Yeah, so dance for me, nope, not at all. But playing, absolutely. Sports, absolutely. Basketball, football, playing catch. Heck yeah, I'm all about it. Dance, mm-hmm. nope, 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 nope. <laughs> that's just for me and the kids, and that's yeah. it. <laughs> I'm all about dance and play. I like to do a little... <laughs> Again, you nobody You're can see it right me. Now but... <laughs> and I, can't, I can't escape it. I know. I, have to... I don't like watching people dance either. <laughs> Justin, we need to we need to bring more joy into your life, more dance joy. I'm, no, dance, dance, dance. Nope. I feel comfortable using, <laughs> yeah, art. I use yes. art as a way to, and I, I allow my body to move through my arm and my hand and my like. I feel super comfortable with that and listening to me myself internally. But when it comes to dance, nah. Uh, so the the next one that I do want to talk about is allowing yourself to feel whatever it is and to not stop. The process. This is a this is kind of a big one. It kind of is, and it almost is a top down. Well, it's really it's a top down plus a bottom up because it's it's top down being aware of what's happening bottom up. Mm-hmm. But I think what we do is so I'll use the dance thing as, as an example. There is no part of me that wants to dance, so I'm not stopping the process from happening. There's no part of me that's like, yeah, let's do this. <laughs> but let's say I wanted to draw a certain way. And then that maybe that maybe maybe doing it in a certain way would like feel scary or uncomfortable or like um, because when you draw like artists that are listening when you draw it for me at least it, it unlocks something like my breathing becomes easier is a way that I can really tell 
Um, I can feel like tingles and like all this stuff going on in my body when I, when I draw from my belly and my, my chest area, from my torso really. So when I feel that and allow that to come through my artwork, that I, I can feel it internally as I let it out visually, you know what I mean? Yeah. So if, if, if anything along the process felt wrong or felt like scary or anxiety producing, and then I stopped the process, that wouldn't be allowing it to come through. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. So we, and we, we stop the process of this stuff all the time as, as humans. We, we have all, all sorts of doubts. We have all sorts of judgments about ourselves. We are afraid of people, you know, making fun of us or rejecting us. So we stop the process from unfolding. Like some, some people might want to dance and go out and dance, but are worried about looking stupid. That's not me. I just don't want to dance. But other people, <laughs> may be like in the mo- in the moment you know but they yeah. won't let that come they won't let it come out yeah I, d- I think that's a good example but i wonder if we could use a different example also to help people understand because when we're talking about allowing yourself to feel whatever the thing is yeah we're, t- we're talking about sometimes the things that can feel kind of scary so if you're i can't think of a good example if if you're just in a moment of extreme fear or extreme anxiety well think about people um that are scared to sit still. And I'm not going to encourage anyone to sit still and to meditate if they're not ready for that. Mm-hmm. But but sitting still for some people is a is not a, a safe experience. Right. But sitting still and allowing yourself to feel what you do feel, if you can tolerate it and allowing those those feelings to occur, like you're allowing the process to happen, you're allowing the anxiety to run its course. If you can sit with it and be mindful of it and really breathe through it, that's what's going to help that kind of like tension and anxiety and even some of the trauma stuff come out little by little by little. Mm-hmm. It's a very difficult thing to do. I'm not going to say people can just sit it down is. and start doing it. It's a very, very difficult thing to do. And recently I did that recently where I allowed myself to do a little bit of meditation and really look inward. And I felt... Um, while I was doing it, I felt my heart rate go up, which scared the heck out of me. And I started to kind of have this panic of like, I'm, I'm going to stop breathing. And like, I started freaking out. So that if, if I had not allowed that to happen, I wouldn't have gotten to the next step. And the next step was all that sort of energy, whatever you want to call it, passed. I breathed through it. I focused on my breathing. I slowed down on the exhale, all that stuff. And that allowed that energy to kind of pass through. But I could have easily opened my eyes when my heart rate picked up. You know what I mean? I could have easily opened my eyes and like shook myself out of it when um, I started to panic. And I was aware of that. I, I, I knew in that moment I can I could open my eyes. I can make this stop right now. But I, I told myself, no, no, no. Like, well, I don't, I want, I'm really curious about what's going on here. And I know I'm going to be okay. I know I can breathe through this. So it was a small, it was a big enough moment to like kind of freak me out, honestly. But um, it wasn't too much for me like I, I could handle it in the moment you know what I mean mm-hmm. so that's what I'm talking about when you say allowing yourself that's what that means is whatever is going on inside of you as you're ready to allow that to happen in, in therapy um, I use fidgets a lot and what I'll see is kids who are in a really sympathetic like fight state I will give them an object and I'll say like squeeze it pull on it and, and notice how your body feels when you do that and for some kids, or not, not just kids, but we'll say some clients, that the sensations of using their aggression 
And then to, to feel that energy course through them is a scary thing and it freaks them out. A certain fidget can trigger a certain feeling and bring you back to a scary place. And so then we don't allow that process to happen. And I'm not going to, I wouldn't push people to do that anyways. It's enough just to notice it, I think. So, but that, that's kind of what, what I mean when I say I'm allowing it is that these feelings are inside of you. We have to work through the shutdown into sympathetic arousal. And the sympathetic, sympathetic arousal is a scary thing. It doesn't feel safe exactly. It's not a psychological thing. It's a physiological thing that there is actually energy within you. The sympathetic energy, um, the free state, shutdown, sympathetic combination energy. And you have to allow this process to unfold. You have to allow it to come through you either through, you can do it through little bits of a time in, in therapy. You can do it through meditation. You can do it by riding a scooter outside if you notice it and to feel that like today I, I was in a funk. I didn't want to do anything. But as I was moving, I felt like my energy pick up. I felt um, like I wanted to go faster. So I allowed that to happen. So I allowed myself to push it, you know what I mean? And, and to really feel myself kind of like gliding along and and whatnot. So I allowed the process to happen rather than get freaked out and slow down and say, oh, I better not, you know, ruin my child's bike or something or scooter or something. <laughs> True. <laughs> or I could, like, I could have said, like, you know, I'm, I'm riding my daughter's scooter, which is a cool scooter, right? But I, hey, I, there's no question about it. The thought could have popped <laughs> in my mind that, like, you know, uh, if someone's watching, I might look stupid. Yeah. I didn't, but I could have. Or, like, any thought could have popped in my mind to stop that from happening. But I told myself, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying this. I, I'm feeling better. I feel my breathing better. I'm going to push this even further and use, because I felt some, like, sympathetic energy come up. I'm going to use this and consciously be aware of it, breathe through it, and allow this process to happen. And I felt terrific at the end of it. I felt like super exhilarated. My, my breathing was a lot better and I felt more connected to my, my son, you know, versus like stopping that process from happening and saying, uh, I'll just like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to push it. I'm not going to like use the sympathetic energy. I'll just stay in my funk. And I, that would have brought me back down. I wouldn't have allowed that process to happen. The way I was thinking about it is, um, I guess parallel to what you're saying. So it's similar, but kind of on a different path. Um, I was thinking about how like when you allow yourself to feel whatever you're feeling there are times that we are so overwhelmed by it or scared by it say say an anxiety attack if a person is having an anxiety attack that is a scary experience and so maybe the first instinct is to stop like try to stop it instead of just kind of sitting with it and experiencing it and i think what i was thinking about is how if you're Again, using the example of the anxiety attack, if you try and stop it, that actually makes it worse. Yes, right. So right. it actually makes the the experience um, less safe and more feel more dangerous, and it actually will likely prolong it rather yeah. than just feeling the anxiety attack. I mean, going through an anxiety attack is is you know horrifying. I imagine. I I think I've had a few maybe in my life, but but instead of fighting it and making it worse. Really just sit with it and understand, like you were saying, this is not a psychological thing. This is a physiological thing. Your body is having an anxiety attack because physiologically there's a reaction to something in the environment. There's a danger cue that has triggered the anxiety attack. And to fight against that will just make everything worse for you. The whole experience will be worse. So understanding that there's no shame or or guilt in there there's no blame like oh my gosh what did i do i'm having an anxiety attack i'm such a weirdo it's not about that it's about 
something in the environment cued your your body to react this way. And so don't fight it. Just kind of experience it. If there's someone there to support you, if you have a therapist or a friend or a spouse or whoever, you know, that can sit with you and just, you know, exist in the moment with you to help you stay safe, then theoretically, you know, over time, that's something that won't have to happen anymore. The danger cue won't affect you that way anymore. Yeah. I, I When people have anxiety attacks, I've, I've had anxiety issues a little bit, um, panic. I've had a panic attack or two. And when you fight it, it, it doesn't help. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was enough to notice it and get up and move around. But I, I allowed the process to happen. Right. I, I just allowed it like, this is what I'm feeling. I'm not going to fight this thing. This is real. It's there for a reason. Actually, I, I, didn't, I, had no, I had no idea why. Was there something in the environment or in the situation cued this like panic attack? Yeah. And it came on to me pretty much all of a sudden. Like I didn't know where it came from. Yeah. Um, but I didn't fight it. I definitely noticed the heck out of it and kind of freaked me out, of course. But I got up and moved. I got up. And yeah. for me, that was the right thing to do was early on in the panic attack to get up and, and move. So I, I allowed that energy build up because a panic attack is really like, ton- for me, it's like tons of sympathetic energy building up. Yeah. But then wanting to shut down at the same time. To me, it's like the free state kind of. And I, I've seen people when they go into a panic or severe panic that they freeze up. They literally mm-hmm. will freeze up. Yeah. So to me, that was moving was what I needed in that moment. I allowed that process to happen. That's what I'm talking about. It's a physiological issue. Like when we, we, we try and talk ourselves out of feeling depressed or talk ourselves out of um, being anxious. It's, it, there's more going on than just thoughts in our head. These are physiological things that we have to allow to happen. And, and people who are depressed or in a severe shutdown, talking yourself out of that, I don't think is super helpful. And putting yourself in a situation where you have to, quote unquote, fight your depression, people in a severe shutdown don't fight. They're, there's, they just don't. I mean, the shutdown mode, the shutdown state is there as a last resort to life threat. And animals in shutdown will stay that way until they know it's safe, until their body neurocepts safety enough. And then they'll come out of their um, shutdown into sympathetic arousal and then shake that off or whatever, or flee and get up into a safe and social state. Being in a depression, if you allow the process of depression to happen, or if you allow the process of shutdown to happen, it's going to be very calm, patient, gentle, and curious, and lots of love. It's not going to be fighting it. It's not going to be being angry at yourself. You know what I mean? So if, if you're in a shutdown state, it's, you're there for a reason. So the judgment and the self-blame, the shame, which I don't think is exactly in someone's control, but I think if you're aware of it and you can kind of, I think you can at least notice it, realize that it's there for a reason and bring a lot of curiosity and patience to it versus why am I like this? Why am I not good enough? Um, I'm worthless. I'm this, I'm that. So that those like internal battles for someone who's in a shutdown state, I don't think it helps whatsoever. I think it kind of makes it, it really makes sure it, it ensures that you stay there. But if you allow the process of shutdown to happen, that means that you're still. Um, that means that you're looking for safety. Um, and that might mean very small movements versus like, I'm going to get up and do a run today. That's just, No, that's not. An animal shutdown doesn't get up and go run until they feel their sympathetic arousal and then use it to run. But I think the point is, if if you're feeling anxious, feel anxious. 
and and whatever that means for you. So don't try and say, well, I feel anxious, but there's no reason for it. And so I, you know, I'd rather try and make myself feel happy. There, there's no, that's not going to be what helps. What helps is if you're anxious, feel anxious and then do whatever your body needs to move through the anxiety to. It, it means, yeah, not fighting your state. Yes. That's a good, that's a really good way to put it is to, is to accept that that's where you're at. Don't fight it. And instead, use your state as an indicator of what you should do. So if you are anxious, I think art is a great way to release some anxiety. I do that pretty frequently. I think art is a fantastic way to actually pretty much deal with any state. It might be, but maybe singing is your thing. If, if you're not a visual artist or writing, I think creative outlets are a fantastic way to deal with a lot of these state, um, being stuck in these different states. Allowing it, but, but not fighting it. And I think the first step is accepting where you're at. And um, and just don't fight it, like the argue the self arguments and whatnot. Just all it does is solidify where you're at. It does not. I don't think it helps whatsoever. The last one that I is such is such an easy way, but I don't think people pay enough attention to is music. Yeah, this is something I've been doing a lot of. So I do a lot of the controlled exhale. I do a lot of noticing how I feel internally. I do a lot of um, yeah, noticing my breath and my heartbeat and stuff. But I use those as cues, and I'm finding music to be a really good way to work through my states. What I want to ask people is, why do you listen to the music you listen to? And it seems to me, like I work with teenagers, so the music they listen to is a big deal to them, and it usually matches what state they're in. Kids who are more shut down are drawn to more music that is more like, what do they call it now, emo? Is that the word for it? I don't think it... Is that out of date now? I, that's out of date. Yeah, the moody, kind of angsty, like... My Chemical Romance. Sure. <laughs> I think. I don't know. Kids are in more of an aggressive uh, fight state or fight a uh, sympathetic arousal state. You know, gangster rap, heavy metal. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Those kind of heavy, aggressive, yeah. and even the lyrics like line up with that. Yeah. So I think that the music that we choose directly connects i i think my this is just my opinion i haven't read this from dr portis or Olivia or whoever else but i think the music we to- choose really directly reflects what state that we're in i think or at least like what think about a song that really speaks to you why does it speak to you like it probably speaks to whatever you're going through not just in the lyrics but in the actual mood of the song so i think that we turn to music habitually rather than use music as a way to notice how it makes us feel or to help us get to the next step. So for example, um, with my kids, if we're, if the morning feels a bit more tense, what I'll do is I'll put on music that has like a lot of prosody in it. Um, for me, oldies music, I love listening to oldies. It's a great, it's just so much prosody in oldies music. So that helps us kind of set the tone. You know what I mean? It brings us back right. to a safe place. If I'm in more of a sympathetic arousal, I listen to a lot of heavy metal stuff. I, I like that a lot. There's a few key songs in particular that for some reason I, I, I keep coming back to. And they speak to me on some level when I'm in those kind of states, you know? And so if I listen to that, not habitually, but just noticing how I feel as I listen to it and how the volume affects me and how things affect my body, that it's it's very like validating in a way. And it's very normalizing how I feel. It allows me to notice it and allows me to, if I got a headbang, I'm going to headbang. That's dancing. There you go. I'm headbanging is dancing. Boom. Headbanging. There you go. That's a form of dance. Last time I did that, I I 
pull something last time I did oh, that. Oh, no. So. <laughs> Get, I'm getting old, Mercedes. Because I know that. <laughs> I don't mean like I know that you're getting old. I was just about to say. Well, yeah. <laughs> I but feel like, old all the time. Music is such a good way to not just like it unlocks the like dance, like it unlocks movement, I yeah. think. Well, yeah, and kind of, of going back into the play talk and, and, you know, play being a source of joy and safety. And I think you're right. I think music can get us there. And, and if you're talking about, I think music has kind of dual purposes because you were talking about how music is often matched to our mood and or state, you know, mood slash state. I think that's very true. Again, going back to like the angsty teenager thing, listening to depressing music, but also you, you gave an example of this too. Music can also be used to move us between states because that's also what we're talking about today is climbing, climbing the polyvagal ladder. I use music a lot to, to move me between states. I think, I think when I was much younger, I did the thing where I would kind of match music to my state, but now I notice that I use it a lot more to like, uh, in the mornings when I'm getting ready for work. I listen to music that will kind of get me moving, get me going. And even if I'm like, I wake up in a funk or I wake up really tired or whatever, by the time I'll play it, like while I'm in the shower. So I put my speaker on in the shower. And so by the time I get out of the shower, I'm, you know, dancing and singing to the point where my husband's like too loud. (laughs) You, you have to stop. (laughs) That happens more often than I'd like to admit. But, um, (laughs) but you know, it gets me going and it gets me like ready for the day. Another example I can think of off the top of my head is I, I used to work in a classroom. Um, this, this is a few, so I still work in a classroom, but a few years ago, I worked in a classroom where, um, uh, the teacher let me put on, um, my Pandora station. It's like kind of like easy, like classical music. And the kids would complain, Miss Mercedes, this is boring. We hate this music. And I tell them, I'm, I'm wanting to help you concentrate on your work. I'm wanting to help you kind of calm down a little bit. You know, it's work time and kids are, you know, you guys are being kind of rowdy and, and noisy. So let's see if this helps. 10 minutes later, like they, everybody's quiet and they're still. And one of the rowdiest kids goes, Miss Mercedes, you're right. This music makes me feel really relaxed and I'm focusing on my, on my schoolwork. I'm like, yeah, duh. That's why I did that. I think that's one of the points we're trying to make is that music can help us move between states too. I think so. Like in that example, the kids were in this rowdy, sympathetic arousal, Mm -hmm. but the music you chose did not match that. Mm-hmm. So for them, that was, um, we'll call it um, a misattunement. Mm-hmm. Just like if they were in a sympathetic state and you come along and try and talk in a prosodic voice, that it, it's not going to match what they're, where they're at. So right. they're gonna, they, might, they may actually have a hard time tolerating your prosodic voice and going up the ladder to meet you. But right. once they see you're safe, they will eventually be able to work. So just like with the music, it didn't match what they, where they were at. But over time, after hearing it and realizing it was apparently safe enough that they... They were like, oh, okay. They were able to go back up the ladder enough and, and join the music. Yeah. Um, that, that's, and that's how I use all these music. Etta James is a fantastic way uh, for me to uh, work my way up the ladder. Love Etta James. So there was one morning where I was just in a funk. And I was really kind of like, shut, really more shut down. Not like collapse, like shut down. I was still functioning you know, through the day. But I was like, man, what is going on here? Like I'm not, you know, I'm not just not into my day here. And so I listened to no music. I had quiet in the car. I was I do a lot of stuff in the car because I drive a lot. But I I, turn, I was like, you know what? The music's not working for me. I don't want to listen to a podcast. I didn't want to hear anybody talk. Reflexively, I did out of habit. I did, but when I really looked inward, I'm like, this isn't working for me. I'm not really listening to it. I'm not taking it in. So I'll just drive in silence to my next place or whatever. 
And, uh, and so I did that. And just the silence of driving or what, you know, close enough to silence was enough for me to get my breathing back on track. It, it was it was like quiet and calm enough. And then um, the next thing I did was when I was able to, I put on, I, I felt like I was ready for the next step, which was sympathetic arousal. Like I, I'm ready for some heavy metal here. So I put on, I think it was either five finger death punch or Godsmack <laughs> or baby metal. One of the, I don't know. These Probably names, all of them. Man. Exactly. <laughs> so I, and that, it just felt right. You know what I mean? Like listening to it, cranking it up, it just felt right. Yeah. And then I was like, you know what? Cool. I'm, I'm, I felt myself climbing up the ladder. My, my breathing was changing, feeling better. And then the last thing that day was, this is all in the, like in the morning. I was able to, I got to where I was supposed to be and I put on Etta, Etta James. You know what I mean? So I was like, I'm, I'm ready to get, to get the next step here. I put on Etta James. I did some meditation. And uh, I felt fantastic. I felt super connected uh, and more social than I'd probably been in quite a long time. <laughs> but that was working my way up through music was a key, key, key part yeah. of that. And listening to where I'm at and li- when I, I listening to music with my body, not with my ears and really letting myself kind of like get into it and letting it speak to me on that level and take me to the next level up the ladder. So I think music is a big, obviously a huge deal. It's plus breathing, plus this noticing and, and allowing yourself to feel what you feel. Without judgment. That's the important part. What is it called? Five finger. Death? Five finger death punch. <laughs> that that to me is a new name. I've never heard of five finger death punch. Uh, someone actually DM me, and hopefully I answered the question. But someone asked me like, "Why do I like heavy metal music? Why does that speak to me?" What's really interesting with I've never done I've never done a mosh pit before. I kind of want to, but never did. So a mosh pit is for those who don't know is at a heavy metal concert that basically. People will start not attacking each other, but they'll. I mean, <laughs> it, it's a, it's almost it's really a, a form of dance where there's punching and elbowing and hitting and shoving, Thrashing and yeah. But heavy metal dance, if you call it that, is extremely aggressive. It's it's a yeah. lot of like fight state kind of stuff. It's a lot of upper body shoving, elbowing. It's mm-hmm. a lot of that fight state kind of stuff. So for the person who asked me in DM about heavy metal, to me that's a fight state thing, and heavy metal is a great way. Especially, I think in a mosh pit. Not that I invite you, not that I ask people to do that, but <laughs> but the dancing of heavy metal music is extremely upper body, fight state, shoulder kind of stuff. So totally side tangent. <laughs> Let's get us back on track here. We did a live chat just a, a little while ago, and uh, what did people say? One person said that they take their shoes off and walk along and walking barefoot outside. They even said they skateboard barefoot, which I thought was super cool. I feel like that would be a little dangerous. I'd be worried about like scraping my toes. See, like, so that's you would my, not allow the process to happen. <laughs> Those thoughts I, of safety would not allow no. the process to happen. <laughs> Aren't we supposed to be aiming for safety? So, so what I'm saying is, if that person feels safe, both internally and externally, but what ha- that, what, what that person saying you, though? Man. Yeah, exactly. What that person saying is that the movement of skateboarding feels right. Not yes. having their shoes on feels right feels for right. your body. Yes. The thought yes. of I might get hurt would stop the process from unfolding of moving up the ladder through barefoot skateboarding. I have questions. What's but, the question? <laughs> well, I don't want to get into like this long drawn out conversation, but I do. That's see what a point. podcast is. <laughs> a long drawn out <laughs> conversation. <laughs> I don't know. I guess. Okay. So my question is like, it, does that count if I? I don't know. I don't know if skateboarding barefoot is a good example, but let's just use it. If that doesn't 
No, see, I just answered my own question. I was going to say, if that doesn't work for me, right? then that answers my question. Then that's not what works for me. But if if I want to skateboard barefoot because the sensation of skateboarding and feeling, I don't know, I've never skateboarded, but like the vibrations in my feet. I don't don't know. I I can't break it down that far. Bleeding up my feet like that. So the if, yeah, the, the thoughts of safety <laughs> stop you from but that that's not the right move for you then. That's just that's not your thing. Okay. Or maybe it is and you have to get past the your own concerns Bloody of safety. Toes, yes. Right. Yeah. But <laughs> this is like so fine tuned per person. It really is. For yeah, for me, art is a great way for me to let go of or to work through some states. And I, I'm able to listen to what's going on inside of me and to let it out through my arm and my hand and my wrist and shoulder mm-hmm. and whatnot an elbow but so like i can that's that feels right to me me playing with um stress balls and squeezing them feels right to me but if i give that same stress ball to somebody else they will interact with it differently and maybe they'll hate it maybe they'll toss it up and down and that will feel right to them like today i was out with my this morning with my son and we had a little basketball and for some reason walking and dribbling it felt fantastic but walking and slamming it into the ground and then running to catch it before it fell before it fell and hit the ground mm-hmm. felt even better. Like it was just the most fun thing. I was using my arms to like throw it down. I hear the like the loud noise of it like banging on the ground. And then I get to use my legs to run under it and catch it. All coordinated balanced movement. It felt fantastic. Like it was this big release for me. So but I can't prescribe that for the next person. I, I have no idea. So barefoot skateboarding, yeah, sure. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Sk- yeah. A scooter a scooter ride on my daughter's mm-hmm. scooter. Yeah, that's, that's there you go. I'm all set. The Instagram live, um, we also had the suggestion of yoga and um, meditation. Medi- there was a phrase in there. Was it re- meditative breathing? Something about breathing. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Some I'm finding that I'm getting more curious about the meditation kind of stuff. That, that's really, especially um, getting the right voice. You know what I mean? Hearing the right voice mm-hmm. is like it just feels right. Um, they, I don't know if yoga would, would work for me, but you were saying earlier that, that that's a good fit for you. Yeah, it is. I I like doing that. But I know I've also tried to convince my husband, for example, to do it with me. And he'll always say, you know, I need to, I want to be more flexible. I want to stretch my muscles a little bit more. And I say, hey, why don't we try the yoga? No, it just, I mean, we've been together 20 years now. It's nope. Yoga works for me. I like I um, gardening, like working in the yard, like even weeding. My husband's like, I hate weeding. And I, I don't know. I just, there's something about the movement of like just the repetition of pulling the weeds, putting yeah. them in the you, whatever box or whatever. And- so the next time is when you do that to notice how it feels. Like what is your body experiencing while you're weeding? Mm-hmm. And there's when you connect the mind to the body, it's freeing. It, 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 there's something... Yeah. That allows you to get unstuck. Yeah. That, it that's feels what this very is. meditative for me when I'm doing the yeah. weeds, like when I'm weeding the, the yard, like it feels very, yeah, it feels like meditation almost because I, I just get in this zone. I'm just like into it. And then I feel really relaxed and really at ease once I'm done. That, see, that, that tells me, let's, I want to build on that. This is going to be a long okay. episode, oh, but yeah, I, I think, it, I think it's worth it. I guess Are we'll you- see. Are you good to go or what? Let's do it. Let's build on this real quick here. Let's build. I think that we do these things that, like you said, it's like meditative. Like it kind of feels right for you, right? Mm-hmm. But the question is, are, are you just habitually doing it or are you doing it with mindfulness? And I, I think that's where, just like with music, I just, 
pick music and listen to it for some reason? But am I actually mindful of how it feels to listen to music? And I, I think if you combine the mindfulness with the way you feel when you listen to music or while you're weeding or while I'm riding a scooter, when you combine the two, then something gets unstuck, like something changes. And I think that's how a really good way to climb up the ladder. I can't say wholeheartedly that I've been mindful of it in the past. I'd really have to think about that. And I don't want to just say like, yeah, I've been mindful just so I could like play that card right now. But I know that when I, I noticed this, I can't even remember. I, I want to say I noticed it for the first time, how it felt like meditation for me. I noticed it the first time. I remember being pregnant, I think with my daughter and I was like, eight months pregnant and I'm outside weeding and my dad and my mom and my husband, everyone's like, what the heck are you doing sitting on the ground fully pregnant? And I'm like, I just, I I like it. I need it. It calms me down. And that's the first time I really noticed the meditative quality of it for me. So anyway, so I don't know if it's about being mindful, but it just, I have noticed that the movement of it and just the whole process of it makes me feel really calm. It just puts me in a, in a very calm, safe state. And I've even, notice there are times where like if I'm having a bad day on a weekend kind of like you were talking about today you know you kind of woke up kind of funky and I I remember there's weekends I wake up kind of funky and just like "Eh," and I'm like you know what I'll do I'll work on the yard and I'll do this and then I you know an hour or so later I come back and I'm in a much different mood and my family notices yeah I I drew I've drawn my whole life Um, I don't think it was up until maybe the past year I noticed that as I bring more mindfulness to my drawing process that I actually feel different and I do climb up the, the polyvagal ladder. But that's only because I learned about polyvagal theory, really. But I've drawn my entire life with virtually no shift in how I feel while I draw. I, I know I like it. I know it feels right. But it wasn't a, a tool that I used to like become more safe and social. Only in the past year have I realized that, oh, I can use this as a way to check in with how I feel and draw based on what feels right. And I, I use the movements based on what feels right. I draw faster or slower based on what feels, it just feels right because I'm, I'm mindful of how I'm, I'm, my body wants to move and is moving while I'm drawing. So I, I think we do things out of habit, but when you combine mindfulness with it, you might be able to figure out like, oh, this actually feels tremendous and I feel it in this, in my breathing or I feel it in my gut or something. Like I, I can feel where the change is happening now that I'm mindful of it and something is getting unstuck. And I, I really do. It's, it's really neat to notice those like tingles or I feel like something travel up my, um, from my gut up, up my, to my chest. And then my breathing just gets better. It becomes more free and I can feel like some sympathetic arousal and stuff. It's really combining the mindfulness with the body stuff. I think is really, really fun. It's really interesting, but you have to, you have to be generally curious about it as well. I think what the, a fun aspect of it for me is that this can be true for almost anything. Um, For some reason, while you were talking, I was thinking about my daughter and my daughter loves making slime. She can make you cloud slime and fluffy slime and glitter. I don't know what, all sorts of slime. And I'm thinking, I wonder if that's something for her, for example, that that works for her. And I don't know, maybe she's aware of it, maybe not. But, um, you know, there's a, there's a texture there. There's a feel. She plays with it a lot after she's done making it. So I think, I guess what I'm trying to say to the people listening is this can be anything. Um, I really think so. I used to work with a, another clinician, another therapist who used to, um, what did she do? Soap carving, like bars of soap. And she'd carve them. Or like, yeah. um, you know, anything like making things, creating things, doing things. It can well, be it's anything. Really like, why do we do the things that we do? 
Mm-hmm. Why does our body like to listen to this thing or or watch this thing or um, draw this thing? Like why? Right. It, there's there's something about that action that speaks to your physiology. Yeah. Or to your history plus your physiology plus you know all kinds of like cultural right, stuff the, and blah right. blah blah blah. But like, wh- why do we do the things that we do? Like, there's there's a reason that our bodies want to do these things. There's a reason why my body likes to do the scooter and to feel the gliding, flying sensation. I don't I don't know what the hell it why it is, but it just feels right. And as I bring mindfulness to it, like it unlocks something inside of me, and I feel tremendous. Rather than I'm just doing it and having fun, it's like I'm doing it and having fun. Plus, I'm mindful of why, and that just it just unlocks something. That's so fascinating to me. It is. I'm gonna be more. I'm gonna try that. I'm giving this my giving myself this homework assignment to be more mindful, more aware of the actions that I not actions, but the activities I do, and why. I like repetition. Like knitting, mm. I like to knit, mm. and it's just like doing the same action over and over. I like weeding, which is the same action over and over. But don't we all do that? Not just not don't we don't all knit, but don't we do the same things over and over again? I don't know though, because I think like for you and the art, I I guess you could say it's the same same thing over and over again because it's you know pencil to paper and and moving. But there's there's a different like every piece of art is a different thing so you're going to move differently every time that you do it It, you have to be if you're mindful of it and you ask yourself and out of genuine curiosity like i i've drawn my whole i've drawn my whole life only up until within the past year have i realized oh i can use this as a way to feel better i can draw from any anxiety i might be feeling or if i'm in a shutdown sort of place i can draw from that place and, and kind of let it out through art. And I think people instinctively know they can be creative and let stuff out. But when you bring mindfulness but mindfulness to it and curiosity and like you experiment with like, I'm going to try and move this way and see how that feels. And your body, my body tells me, no, not like that. And so I'm like, okay, well, how about this way? My, my body will be like, yep, that's the, that's the right way to do it. And not about how it looks to somebody else, like how the end result is. It's more about moving that way. That feels right. Keep doing that. And listening to my body in a genuine way, in a very curious way, has allowed me to move up the ladder by by through creative outlets or through move you know movement on a scooter or whatever. And pretty much anything, especially creative outlets, um, sports, breathing, yoga, like all these things are fantastic ways to become curious about where you're at and to really notice. Like I I keep returning to this action. I keep returning to weeding. How does how do I feel when I weed? How does my body feel when I grab it by the base or whatever and, and pull? Like, how does that feel in my arm? And I think when you bring that level of mindfulness to it, it's going to be a different experience the next time. It will, it will no longer be just a thing that your body does, but it's going to be an experience that you're having. Announcements. Ooh, the Bad Therapy series is coming next. I'm excited for this one. Can't wait. I can't wait. I'm uh, passionate about therapy, yeah. as are you, I know. Yeah. I am passionate about working with kids, especially. Mm-hmm. So you, you get me on these two topics at the same time. And when we talk about bad therapy with kids or anybody, but especially with kids, I'm going to drop down the ladder a little bit. I really think yeah. I'm going to. And I'm going to let it happen. It's going to get real, I think. I want people I'm I'm I know there are a ton of stories out there. Yes. Of bad therapists. 
and I really want people to feel I, I, we're inviting you to share those with us. And I, I really would love to have audio clips. I want to hear your level of anger at these people. I want I want to call yeah. people not by name. I'm not going to call people out by name, but I want to I want to expose what bad therapy is because people are going to therapists with they're trusting, they're they're desperate right. for help. They see desperate us for help. therapists yeah. as the experts, and then there are some experts, and I'm doing air quotes here. There are some people who who see themselves as experts and then take advantage of that, and that is not okay. It's it's yeah. not okay. So that the fact that we're people are desperate for help and trusting us and giving us money, I want to make sure they know what is acceptable and what is not, what is bad therapy, what is not. Because what I'm hearing from people through DM and email is that didn't feel right. Like I, I did this therapy thing and that didn't quite feel right. Yeah. But um, I didn't if know what to say. If it doesn't feel or, right, it probably yeah. wasn't right. <laughs> that's yeah. That's the bottom line here, honestly. Because yeah. I mean, how lo- let's see, it's. We're in 2019. I've been a therapist for 15 years now. Jeez, I'm old. And, <laughs> you know, like, it, it. I don't know what my point was because I got distracted <laughs> by being old. But I've, <laughs> I've been a therapist for 15 years. And in 15 years, you know, like, I've heard lots of stories from people who've come to me uh, when I was in private practice after other therapists. And they're like, it wasn't like this before. I didn't feel this way before. Like, and I'm, you know, they felt safe and comfortable with me. And I'm yeah. like, whoa, like, that's not okay that you didn't feel this way before. This is how it's supposed to feel. This is your chance to literally sound off um, and, and get your voice out there. Keep it anonymous. That's totally fine. But we want to know about bad therapy experiences. And, and Mercedes and I will talk about those and explain how things maybe should have gone or what's appropriate, what's inappropriate. We'll talk about ethical guidelines. I don't mind talking. I don't mind exposing. Like, this should be a transparent process. It's supposed to we, be. We should not be working behind this cloak of trust. Like this should be a very transparent. I want, I want people. I'm see. I'm already getting upset, Mercedes. I know. No, I know. Me too. I'm already <laughs> bite mode. That's exactly. Yeah. So we'll leave it at that. Please uh, send us your audio clips. You can do so. Just send me an email with a clip you record on your phone. That's fine. You can get if you have Anchor. The app, you can send me an audio clip. You can you can also do that through the Anchor website. Um, you can D, you can DM me or Mercedes on Instagram with an audio clip. They have that function through DM. So it's really easy to send us an audio clip, but we would love that. If you'd rather write it out, that's totally fine too, and we, we can read it off. I know there's a ton of stories out there. This might be a long series. I'm really curious to kind of see what happens, but uh, I can't I want it this. to be a long series. Cannot because wait. Yes. I want people to tell us their stuff. And like you were saying, I want to expose this stuff. It should be transparent. So the homework assignment for this week is pick something that you heard today and use it. Just, re- just real quick, last week, my goal was to use the visualization to uh, bring myself back up the ladder. And I, I attempted to use that. It didn't really work for me. My, my visual was the first time that my daughter held my finger when she was born. Beautiful moment. means a lot to me. But it didn't really help me out. That, was, that wasn't a good fit for me. How about you, Mercedes? I believe your goal was to try the random body check-ins. I think it was good. It worked for me. It it kind of helped to kind of look at different body parts and say, hey, like what's going on there and why does it feel that way? All right. We hope this has brought you some value. If you have any questions about any of this, we'd love to hear it. Possibly address it in a future episode. Uh, feel free to contact one of us. My email is justinlmft at gmail.com. My email is mercedeslmft at gmail.com. And you can reach us both um, on Twitter and Instagram. 
uh, Justin LMFT and Mercedes Mercedes LMFT. Uh, those are great places to reach us. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. Are you dancing? I'm swaying back and forth. <laughs> That's what my body wanted. <laughs> I am mesmerized by your rubber ducks, I have to say. The little rubber ducks on your shirt. Uh, $9 at Marshall's. Fantastic. Fantastic. Is it new? It's brand new. Brand new.